Almighty God, let us pray. Ever blessed God, our heavenly Father, we bow low at thy footstool this morning and worship thee. We remember and recall with pleasure that thou, O Lord, art the provider and carer of thy people, and thou, with loving kindness and infinite mercy, hast drawn us safely to thy house this morning. We thank thee with all our hearts for the preservation of our lives, for the strengthening influences that have surrounded us in this past week, for rich provision in food and drink, in home and shelter, in every necessity freely bestowed upon us. Father, truly every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, neither shadow of turning. And therefore, O Lord, it is most appropriate and fitting that we gathering in thy house should first praise thee for the mercies of providence and the wonders of thy protective care that day by day and hour by hour surround us unfailingly. So that we come to thee to thank thee this morning. But more than this, to explore together again that great realm of spiritual things and of the grace of our Lord Jesus in his gospel. For thou hast come to us and touched our lives with thy radiance. And in our darkness thou hast spread abroad thy brilliant light of truth and the gospel of our Saviour. So that we who were in bondage to sin and we who were held captive by Satan have known deliverance and freedom through the salvation that has come to us powerfully in Christ Jesus the Lord. So that for this realm of mighty grace we praise thee this morning that thou didst in the fullness of time send forth thy Son born of a woman and made under the law that we might be redeemed to God. Then in the fullness of this salvation open our minds, O Lord, and warm our hearts and take from us that sluggishness and slowness of spirit that so quickly descends upon us that we may be lifted above these things into the light and joy of the very presence of God himself, praising thee for our salvation and thanking thee for our deliverance from the lowest hell, and that indeed, because Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us, then enable us with joy indeed to keep the feast. Break open thy word to us, that through the word preached and the word under the symbols of the sacrament in bread and wine may speak eloquently to our waiting spirits refreshing us in thy presence, renewing us in thy service, and confirming again to us all the rich promises of God, respecting our salvation and our eternal security in Christ Jesus the Lord. Then meet with us, O Lord, as we would meet with thee, as we ask these things in his name, who, when we pray together, taught us to say in those gracious words, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen. Will you turn with me this morning to the scripture reading from the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 15. Acts 16, from verse 6 to verse 15. We are turning to this passage this morning as it provides the second conversion in the early church that we are to look at. You remember that last Sunday we began with the conversion of the dying thief recorded in Luke chapter 23. And this morning I propose to turn to the conversion of Lydia, the businesswoman whose story is recounted in these exciting verses in Acts 16. From verse 6, Then they, that is the Apostle Paul, together with Luke and Silas, or Silvanus, to give him his Greek name, and Timothy, then they five went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word, that is the word of God, in Asia, the Roman province of Asia, roughly corresponding to modern Turkey. And when they had come opposite Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing, beseeching him, and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Setting sail, therefore, from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come thither. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. And when she was baptized with her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. May God bless to us that reading from his own word. Now, as usual on our communion Sunday morning, there is no children's message. But there is a hymn that we have chosen for the young people who are present. Number 515, number 515, 
with your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife. Now in the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, we have the amazing account of the growth of the early church en masse, how according to the plan set out by the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, first his followers would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, then they would spread out into Judea and then into Samaria and finally, to the very uttermost parts of the earth. So that by Acts chapter 28, the closing chapter of that great record of the church's expansion into the unbelieving and pagan world, by Acts 28, the gospel indeed has reached almost to the limits of the then known world. Yet one of the choice themes in the Acts of the Apostles is not merely the growth of the church en masse, but the theme of individual conversions to Christ. How did these great numbers come into the Christian church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth? They came in mostly, one by one, singly, alone, in circumstances that were different from each other, with different backgrounds and different cultures and different social status in the Roman society of that day. There is an amazing diversity 
in these instances of conversions to Christ in the early church recorded in the book of Acts. Paul, the Jewish rabbi, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, the Ethiopian eunuch, a black man from North Africa, the very chancellor of the exchequer to the great Queen Candace, the Philippian jailer in the same chapter that we read from this morning, the young teenager Timothy, who probably came to Christ while he was still a youth, and other fascinating people and their conversions recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostles. Conversions in the early church, one of the choicest themes from this great book. It's so practical, isn't it? As we sit here in St. Andrews this morning and we say to ourselves, how will this congregation increase? How will our church grow? The answer indubitably from the Acts of the Apostles is that it will grow in a meaningful way only as people are converted to Christ. In the early church, the church surmounted every obstacle. It overcame every difficulty. It went on from strength to strength to the uttermost parts because people were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is so necessary for us to look at these instances because it enables us to see more clearly how we can be converted to Christ if we are not already in that state. And as we read of these instances, we say, why? That's how the Lord is dealing with me. Or that's just how my friend so-and-so became a Christian all those years ago. Conversions in the early church. Lydia, the businesswoman. Well, she's the second one that we want to look at this morning. In fact, she's the first of three conversions in quick succession in this single chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. All of them from widely different backgrounds, cultures, and temperaments. Lydia, the businesswoman from the upper classes of Philippi. Then secondly, as we'll see next Sunday, the slave girl, the demon-possessed girl from the very lowest classes of society. And then thirdly, the jailer from the middle class of society in that Roman city and colony. Well, this morning, as I said, Lydia, the businesswoman. Here was Paul on his second great missionary journey, partway through it, having come into the region of what we would call now Turkey, then the Roman province of Asia, as it was known, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel or to plant churches, going on to Bithynia, forbidden again by the Spirit to minister there, and coming down to the little seaside port of Troas on the Aegean Sea, in the nighttime he saw a vision that explained it all. The man of Macedonia, standing and beseeching the apostle, come over to Macedonia and help us. And every piece of this strange jigsaw puzzle began to fall into place. Well, as we look at it together this morning, before our communion service, I want to share three things with you from this passage. Lydia's part in her conversion, Paul's part in Lydia's conversion, and thirdly, the Lord's part in Lydia's conversion. 
Let's look at them in that order. Lydia's part in her own conversion. In verse 14. One who heard us, says the apostle, or rather the writer of Acts, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God from the city of Thyatira. That's virtually all that we know about this lady, contained there and encapsulated for us in verse 14. Yet every word of it, I suggest, is significant. She came from the city of Thyatira. In other words, this business lady to whom Paul preached was not a native resident of Philippi at all. She was a stranger. She was an incomer. She would be, as we say in Canada today, a landed immigrant. And she'd come a long way from across the Aegean Sea and from the very province where the Holy Spirit had just told Paul not to preach the gospel as yet, from the Roman province of Asia or modern Turkey. And there in the heart of Turkey, among the Turkish mountains, was the little town of Thyatira, the inland city of Thyatira. It was a city in Paul's day famed for the production of one thing, a special purple dye, turkey red in color, almost crimson. And it was taken from the juice of a certain plant called the madder plant. It came from the madder root that grew in abundance around Thyatira in that part of Turkey. And it was much in demand because you remember that all the Roman gentry and high-born ladies wore Roman imperial purple. Well, much of the dye for that purple came from this source. She came from the city of Thyatira. Now, the second thing that's told us about her is she was a seller of purple goods, and this would follow very naturally. She had emigrated, obviously, to the city of Philippi in Greece, where Paul met her. Why had she come there? from her little city in the mountains far distant. Clearly in the exercise of her business. She was a businesswoman. She probably owned a chain of stores. And they sold the famous dye from Thyatira. And garments dyed with that dye. Turkey red in color. And her business had grown and grown because it was much in demand to have the famous imperial purple. You could compare her to Helena Rubenstein today, entertaining all the great ladies and some not so great in her shops and salons and selling her, selling them a variety of things. But especially in Lydia's case, the famous Thyatiran died. She was then a society lady, a cultured woman, and here in this Roman colony of Philippi, she had abundant custom for her wares. Now third, you notice she was a worshipper of God in verse 14. Perhaps you and I passed over that expression as though there was no significance in it. Well, the worshipper of God in the book of Acts was a technical designation. And it meant quite simply that someone was a Gentile but they had been drawn to the worship of Jehovah. Sometimes they're called God-fearers in Acts. 
those that feared God. Sometimes they're called a worshipper of God. But it means the same thing. A Gentile man or woman who had been so disgusted with pagan worship that they had been drawn and attracted irresistibly to the worship of the Jewish synagogue. It was the only way to find a clean God in that pagan society of Paul's time. All the other pagan gods were depraved and capricious and sadistic and brutal. And as you read about the pagan religions of that time, you find that they required bloodshedding and human sacrifice in certain instances, that they were all of them themselves immoral, immoral gods producing immoral people. And amidst all this pantheon of the ancient Greek and Roman gods, there was one clean God alone, the Lord Jehovah. And people who were searching after the truth and seeking for it and grasping after it, many of them were drawn to the Jewish synagogue where this pure God was worshipped and his pure word from the Old Testament was read and explained. So here was Lydia from the ancient city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, worshipping the God of the Jews. And every Friday night, doubtless, she would shut up her shop and explain to her servants that because she was a worshipper of God, there would be no business done on the Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. And along she would go with some of her servants to the little gathering of women by the river outside of Philippi to read the scrolls and perform the ablutions or the washings and still look and hope and search and want to have knowledge of the true and living God. Now listen, isn't this an amazing providence of God? That he brought her through the mountains of Turkey, across the Aegean Sea, into the city of Philippi, through her business interests, in order that the Lord might set up for her the day and the hour when the true gospel would be preached to her. He had prepared her heart. And she had come unknown to herself. Through her business interest. To take up residence in the very place. To which the apostle Paul. Was even now on his way. So it is isn't it dear friends with many of us. Circumstances have conspired together. In our families. In our businesses through our friends and relationships that have brought us inevitably and invariably to the very spot and the very moment where the word of God has come and addressed us savingly and we have believed in the Lord Jesus. It's wonderful to know that in spite of ourselves and unknown to ourselves, the Lord is able to guide us through the most difficult path and extricate us and bring us to the very place and the very time where he wants us to hear of his glorious son. As the great Augustine once said, I had not been seeking after thee if thou hadst not first sought me. She was in the way and the Lord was to lead her to a full knowledge of his son. Lydia's part in her own conversion.
Now, secondly, Paul's part in Lydia's conversion. And you've got to look at the longer section of verses 6 to 13. Here was Lydia, a seeking soul, an unquiet spirit, grasping after the great Lord whom she only dimly knew. And here was Paul, Christ's ambassador at large. How were the two to be brought together? Well, first of all, the Lord of the church restrained Paul, and then secondly, he redirected him. You see it there in these verses. He was restrained from preaching. Can you imagine it? As the New Testament scholar and writer E.M. Blakelock says in his little commentary on Acts, Paul was led across Asia, that is the Roman province of Asia, Turkey. He was led across Turkey from the southeast corner right to the northwest corner and prevented from preaching anywhere. And if you look at a map, you see the enormity of it. This ambassador at large, the apostle, forbidden to preach in all the Roman province of Asia with its teeming cities of Ephesus and others like it, going north toward Bithynia, thinking surely the Lord will grant me an open door here. And again, the Holy Spirit forbids him to preach the word in Bithynia. And so he, perplexed, comes down to the little seaside port of Troas on the blue waters of the Aegean Sea, crying out, no doubt, in spirit, Lord, why this perplexity? Where shall I go? And as he comes down to that little port of Troas with his strategy in tatters, for he wanted to preach the gospel in these great cities of Turkey, as he and his companion come down to Troas, it all falls into place. First he's restrained and then he's redirected. The vision by night of the unknown Macedonian man beseeching the apostle in urgent tones, come over to Macedonia and help us. And listen, dear friends, it was a leap, not simply across the narrow waters of the Aegean Sea. It was a leap across the continents. For as we recognize now, although it was not so clear then, Paul crossed from the shores of the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. And no wonder someone described it as the most momentous journey in the annals of missionary history. For the first time officially, the words of the Lord Jesus were spreading from Asia into Europe. And because of that journey, very largely, you and I are sitting in this building this morning. Come over and help us. Now Paul understood at last why the doors had been closed and the way had been blocked. And immediately he crossed over to Europe from Troas, landing at the little seaport for Philippi at Neapolis. It was a Roman colony in Philippi, the most important city, says Luke, in that region. And it meant, in effect, it was a little Rome where a lot of the people wore Roman clothes. 
They conducted their affairs by Roman customs and Roman laws, and a great many of them would have enjoyed all the privileges of Roman citizenship. And Paul's strategy, no doubt, in coming to that significant city was that through planting a church there, the witness would spread into all the community. But when he and his four companions arrived there, they were aghast. There was no synagogue anywhere in Philippi. How do we know that? Because in those days it required only ten Jewish families, ten men, the heads of households, in order for a synagogue to be established in a community. So clearly in Philippi there were not ten Jewish families. What was Paul to do? He invariably made the synagogue his starting point to proclaim the riches of the Messiah. Well, he said to his companions, we'll wait for the Sabbath day and we'll go out to the river where there's sure to be a godly group of a few Jewish people gathering together to worship the Lord. Jews and proselytes will be there. And they went. And down there by the river Gangites, outside the city of Philippi, Paul saw a little group of women. And they were only too glad to be ministered to by one whom they took to be a Jewish rabbi, and indeed he was, and to hear him open up the Old Testament scriptures, expounding Christ to them. And there in the midst of them was the woman Lydia. In the midst of that small group, hearing intently from Paul's lips things that she had never heard before. Things that were utterly new to her. The promised Messiah. Not coming, but having come. Lived and died and risen again. But the guilty may have full remission for their sins at last, not only promised and foreshadowed in the slaying of beasts and the spilling of blood, but now accomplished by the shedding of the blood of the Son of God himself that every believer in the Messiah is fully justified by faith from everything that we could not be justified from under the ancient law. Exactly what the law could not affect, the Lord Jesus has affected. And as she listened, and I want you to notice in verse 14, but the word heard is in the imperfect tense in the Greek, she kept on hearing as though for several Jewish Sabbaths she went and listened intently to the Apostle Paul. A new world opened. And she continued to hear, hanging on the Apostle's words, until at last there remained but one step between her need and God's provision, and this to be supplied by the Lord's part in her conversion. Now we've seen Paul's part. Let me ask you, dear friend, do you and I know anything of being used by the Lord to lead others to him? The Lord of the church took Paul and he closed this door and he closed that door and then he opened one that Paul had never dreamed of and never expected. Do you and I know anything of that leading of the Lord? It's an amazing passage, isn't it? The Holy Spirit led this man across two continents. 
in order to claim one individual soul to begin with. Restraining, redirecting, guiding. By the grace of God, I've known some instances of this that are remarkable in their own circumstances. But if you and I are a Christian, he will give us opportunities of leading others to himself. In fact, it's one of the great businesses that he keeps us here in the body at all. If you are available to the Lord in the right time and place, he will use you to lead another to faith in his own great son. Paul's part in Lydia's conversion. Now as I finish, the Lord's part in Lydia's conversion, the most important part of all, the end of verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was said by Paul. Without the Lord's part in this, nothing would have happened. And Paul's visit to Philippi, at least in this incident, would have been unremarkable. Through the whole episode, it was the Lord directing Paul, shutting doors and opening others, channeling his obedience down the path that seemed totally unpromising. And Paul, no doubt, kicking all the time and saying, Lord, why are you leading me here? Why can't I preach in this wide open door of Asia and Bithynia as I see it? But they were delays imposed by love. Paul was being directed by the Lord to Lydia. And then the Lord prepared Lydia, didn't he? This cultured, professional businesswoman, owning a chain, we would say, of Helena Rubenstein's stores, bringing her from the mountains of Thyatira to the bustling city of Philippi, and from paganism into the outer courts of the Jewish synagogue as a God-fearer, creating a searching heart within her to go on seeking and groping and grasping, even when there was no apparent chance of her finding. And at last, the decisive hour of Lydia's conversion drew near. And in a group of unpromising women down by a tributary of the river Gangites, there came the lovely fulfillment of this woman's long quest. Unhurried, look at it, bona fide, genuine conversion down there by the river. She took a firm foothold of faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. How? The Lord opened her heart to give heed to what was spoken by the Apostle Paul. In other words, as she kept on listening, her objections were most amazingly answered. Her difficulties were removed out of the way. Her ignorance was dispelled by the teaching of the Apostle. It was as though God switched on a light in her mind. And she saw what she never observed before. And her weakness and sinfulness was cast instead upon her great and strong Savior, who said to her, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, 
without the Lord opening the heart of this woman, there was no profit in hearing the word of God. No possibility of ever coming to Christ. The Lord's part in Lydia's conversion. Do you remember that lovely description of faith that I've quoted to you on previous occasions from the Shorter Catechism? What is faith? Faith is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Isn't it so essentially simple? Receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. Gently and quietly, the Lord did open Lydia's heart. It took an earthquake later to open the jailer's heart so that she did receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. Gently he caressed her waiting heart into sweet cooperative faith, resulting in a new taste in her conscience, a new purpose in her will, a new joy in her, her affections, a new life coursing through her, the life of the risen Son of God. And the proof of the genuineness of it all was this, that she, along with her household, whoever they were, was baptized in the waters of the river Gangites. This cultured, professional woman, bowing low beneath the apostles' hand and ministration, confessing openly her faith in her Savior. And taking this weary rabbi and his companions travel-stained into her own home and her own villa and entertaining them royally. If there's a change of heart, then there'll be a change of life to accompany it. My conclusion. The conversion of Lydia the businesswoman. The Acts, as I said, give us an amazing account of the growth of the early church. But thank God, they give us also the account of individual, different, oh-so-diverse conversions as these, in which individuals out of the mass came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you, dear friend, this morning, Come by this way or any other way to the Lord Jesus. Check your experience on these Sunday mornings by the scriptures. And encourage yourself as you say, why, what happened to this man, this woman, is what happened to me. This is how I came to believe in him. Or if you haven't taken that way of life, let it be a word of God to you. As the Spirit searches your heart and conscience and says to you, No, I am not yet there. Then seek him, if haply indeed you may find him. Paul's part in Lydia's conversion, sowing the seed. Lydia's part in her conversion, lying like a field open to the influence of sun and rain to soften the soil. And God's part, bringing in the glorious harvest. The Lord opened her heart to give heed.
to those things that were spoken by the Apostle Paul. Thanks be to God. Amen.